0: Take your Bibles, please, and turn them to Galatians chapter number one. If you didn't bring a Bible, it's fine. We have one for you. It's right there in the pew. You can reach and grab that, pull that out, and um, join with us. You can keep that if you need to. Happy to do that for you today. For those of you joining online, you can join with us, too. Go grab your Bible so you can participate. And if you're following along in the Bible app... Our notes are published there, so you can just grab that on the other tab underneath. Would you join me in prayer this morning? Father, we love you. I'm thinking about those in our congregation who this week have undergone procedures. Good to see Carl here this morning, grateful that went well, and grateful for friends and church family that love him and care for him. And Make sure he gets where he needs to be. So thankful for that. That's not uncommon here at Grace. It's a beautiful thing. It should be a normal thing in church bodies. And I've been privileged to see that for many years. I'm grateful. Lord, I'm thinking of others in our congregation who have a longer recovery that they are experiencing, and some still under watchful care. So we commit them into your hands once again this morning. Lord, as I think about the stories the weeks, even the mornings, the experience on each pew this morning, from our youngest in the room who are itching to get to spring break, I'm sure, to take a break from the routine, to some of our older in the room who have had all manner of weeks. Lord, your grace is sufficient, and it's enough. We thank you for bringing us back safely one more time to gather together to worship you in spirit. Spirit and a truth. We bless you. We love you in Christ's name. Let the church say amen. 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 If we think about introductions to letters or even introductions, if you're writing a thank you note, there's a couple things that you include in the thank you note. You want to be specific about the thing that you're thanking. The person for. If somebody does something kind for you, you want to thank them and name the kind thing that they've done. Be specific in your thank you note and uh, try to be quick as you can. I struggle with that sometimes. I'm very quick. Sometimes I'm a, a week behind. That's where I am right now on some thank you notes, but um, try to be as quick as you can to thank and be prompt and, and talk about what, how whatever they did kind of helped you and enhanced your life or experience in some way. So that's kind of normal behavior. There's normal behavior for writing letters as well. Salutations, greetings, all those things. There was a normal way to write letters in the Bible days when Paul was writing letters to churches and to groups and things. And Paul broke a lot of those rules in the introduction to Galatians. I mean, think about the way that he says hello in the corinthian letters so go back and look if you want to not now but later when you have time just go read the introduction part of first corinthians now the corinthian church had all kinds of stuff they were struggling with but paul was still like and it's such a joy and a blessing and you know wonderful things and kindness and i've heard about the good things and He kind of skips right through that with Galatians, gets right to it. We talked about that last week, how he packed so much gospel into the opening words there. Now, the Holy Spirit, of course, is the one writing scripture. We know that. But you see, one of the principles of interpreting the Bible is it always has to mean what it meant when it was written. Does that make sense? So everybody wants to say well the bible means this and one of the worst questions you can be asked in bible study is what does that mean to you? It doesn't matter what it means to you what matters what it means right and there's some application you can make in your life but that's not a good place to start you need to find out who's it say- what's it saying to who it was written to and Paul wrote differently to the Galatians than he did to the Corinthians why because they're different people and the holy spirit authoring this wanted it to be included in God's precious Holy Word. He gets right to it. He gets right to it. Why? Because the Galatians are headed for an exit. They're heading for an exit. If somebody was on an airplane, Darren is a pilot. He doesn't fly many commercial flights anymore that I'm aware of, although who knows? Um, but uh, Darren is a pilot, and if somebody got up mid flight and started heading toward the exit door, they don't grab the microphone and say, Oh, Delta would like to thank you for being one of our frequent flyers. Special welcome to the Platinum Elite Medallion and all things. Just want to make a quick announcement, please. Could the nut job running toward the door please sit down? No. There's no mic grab. Everybody gets up, grabs the person heading for the exit door and pins them down. Why? It's urgency. That's what's happening here. The Galatians have believed some false teaching and they're believing it and walking that way. And Paul is calling it to it. You see, a mixed up gospel leads you away from Christ, not toward Christ. False teaching leads you away from God, not a closer walk with God. As we work through the text this morning, I'm going to handle the points I'm going to give you, the observations as we observe what's happening here. I'm going to give it to you in the way that it occurred. So it it should make sense the way I'm doing it because they didn't deserve before somebody talked to them. So I'm going to start with the people that talked to them. Let's look at our first passage this morning in verses six and seven, Galatians one, six and seven. Paul says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So I'm starting in the back half of that verse and I'll work my way back up through it. But listen, here's your first point. The distorted gospel. Why is Paul responding with urgency? Because the gospel has been distorted. There are troublemakers distorting the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says there's some who are troubling you. There are some who are distorting the gospel. Can you imagine for just a moment with me what it would be like to sit under the apostle Paul as he led you to Christ, discipled you in your early walk as a Christian, and then helped set up the church? I mean, could you have a better template than that for success? Paul did that. I mean, Paul, this is the Paul that wrote the gospel every time he had a chance in the New Testament. Anytime he was questioned before this tribunal or this council or this king or this person, he was accused of something, he would walk them through his testimony. He'll do that in just a bit in Galatians. We won't get to it this morning. This is the Paul that wrote in 1 Corinthians 15. After dealing with all the junk going on in the Corinthian church, he says, But I delivered to you that which was what I also received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter in the 12, and then 500 more so on. He's reminding people that the main message is the plain message of the, the gospel. And yet, these troublemakers from Jerusalem, I talked to you about them last week, the Judaizers wanted to go everywhere that these churches were popping up and say, hey, you want to be a Christian? Awesome, you're halfway there. Now, they've said yes to Jesus, they've repented, they've put their faith and trust in Jesus, and like, hey, you get the almost badge. But if you want to get your full badge, you've got to become fully Jewish. Because if you're going to follow a Jewish Messiah, you've got to be fully Jewish. Well, they were binding folks in a way that Scripture hadn't and certainly in a way that Jesus hadn't. That's what they were doing. It's not enough to obey the Lord, you've gotta obey the Lord with the same allegiance and passion for all the teachings that we have in addition to what the Lord has. They had distorted the gospel because it was a gospel of grace, not of works. Remember, we're saved by grace through faith. In fact, the Bible says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. I love the next part of that, why? For God's in charge. We're his. We're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. You see, they were adding to the gospel. They wanted it to be a Jewish gospel. You're not really in the gospel unless you're one of us. I'm going to date myself terribly now. little hook, little jingle on... The, um, I'm going to see who can complete it for me. It doesn't matter what key you complete it in. It's judgment-free zone this morning, but you are not fully clean unless you're clean. See, the, the marketers <laughs> kill us, don't they? You haven't heard that since the 80s. But you know you're not fully clean unless you're zestfully clean, right? If you used ivory, that's garbage. If you used coast, <laughs> you just came right from the dump. You're not really clean unless you're zest. And then you got the Irish guy singing on stuff crazy. You don't know what's going on. That's what they were doing. They were diminishing everything else, saying you're not really a Christian unless you're a Jewish Christian. More than 100 years ago, more than 100 years ago, Charles Spurgeon, who's referred to as a prince of preachers, made an observation. It's now recorded in a commentary he's written on Galatians and he said in these times, when, in these times 100 years ago, when errorists of all kinds are anxious to mislead us, we need to pray every day. Listen, one says, look here. Another says with equal vehemence, look here. We have not only another gospel, but we have 50 other gospels now preached. Now, if that was 100 years ago, before the advent of social media and the internet where you can access anything in a moment's time. How many gospels are things that you think we have access to today that are pretending to be the gospel? Paul uses the word distort. That word means to change, to pervert. Pervert is what the word means. One commentator says the word means a radical change. It's like changing water into blood, like changing fresh water into salt water, like changing feasting into morning or daylight into darkness. Yikes. What are some of the distortions of the gospel that we're dealing with today? It would be irresponsible for me to just blow through this without calling your attention to some. John told us in those short little letters toward the end of your Bible that the spirit of Antichrist has been here for a while. Already among us and at work pulling people away from Jesus. Well, here are some distortions. I think some of them you know. Some of them have some new names. Not all of them are new, but some of them sure look new. One is workspace. Now, that one's been around for a long time. They're dealing with this here in Galatians, a works-based gospel, a works-based religion. What do I mean by that? Well, it's, it's pretty easy to recognize. If I just do enough good, I'll be okay. As long as my good outweighs my bad, I'm set for heaven. I'm an upright citizen. I don't lie. I don't cheat. I don't steal. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't chew. I don't run with those that do. I'm good, right? This is your, Well, uh, you know, he was such a good person, right? In recent years, some... Um, Heavy thinkers, my goodness, they wrote a book on it and it was this big. And I thought, please, Lord, let somebody write a Cliff Notes version on that because it was a clinical read on an assessment of all the social studies and all these things. But anyway, they coined the phrase, you ready for this, moralistic therapeutic deism, right? Yeah. You down with MPD? Yeah, you know. No, nobody says that. Anyway, so moralistic therapeutic deism, here's what the moralistic therapeutic Therapeutic deists, easy for me to say, believe. You ready? One simply needs to believe in God, but not such a God that would be involved in their personal life. Well, that's just deism. One needs to be good, there's moralistic, in order to feel good, right? And Because that's the commodity of the day, as long as you feel good. And it's Therapeutic. So, if a person can believe in a God and basically do good things, they rationalize, then surely they'll go to heaven because that feels right. Now, here's the newsflash guess who was creating moralistic, therapeutic deists? You ready for this? The evangelical church over the last 30 years. With our kids and all of our kids' ministries going all the way up through graduation, they were surveying them, and when they asked them basic, fundamental questions about their faith, they proved they weren't biblical Christians but moralistic, therapeutic deists. As long as I do enough good and feel good and believe there's a God, I'm set. Works-based religion, that's not the gospel. How about a social gospel or social justice gospel? This is where values are borrowed from secular culture and mixed in with the gospel, but they're all treated as dogma and we've gotta all be activists about all of the things, right? But to do that, to take in what society exegetes about truth, which is always a problem, then we have to deny what Scripture says about ethnicity. We have to deny what Scripture says about manhood and womanhood. We have to deny what Scripture says about gender and human sexuality. Now, now this looks like an addition to the gospel. Oh, you can have Jesus, but you've got to be doing all these things. But you see any time you try to add something onto the gospel and make it a requirement, you're downgrading the gospel. It's a less than gospel. The troublemakers peddling this narrative would suggest that we are the heretics. We are doing damage to Christianity by holding to the absolute truth from God's word. We're the pinheads. We're the Bible thumping bigots. But the reality is this, they are God-hating TikTokers and entertainers who are not just confused and mixed up, but willingly and joyfully leading people away from Christ. This is the social justice gospel. And since we as Grace Covenant believe by confession that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, that the authors, having been moved by the Holy Spirit to write the very words of Scripture, we believe that all the Scriptures are centered around the Lord Jesus Christ and that they were designed to lead ultimately to Him and are to be used for practical instruction. That's right from our doctrinal statement. If we believe that, hear me, church family, then we deny that Christian belief, character, or conduct can be dictated by any other authority outside of the Bible. We deny that it can be dictated by postmodern ideologies derived from intersectionality, radical feminism, or critical race theory that are consistent with anti-biblical teaching. I was asked this morning, what are you preaching on? I was joking with Brian. I said sin, and I'm taking a position on it, right? Let the record show this will hold us in contradiction to what's popular in culture it's hard for us to live out a social gospel and be true to what the bible calls us to be a works-based gospel social gospel and then the new flavor of the age the progressive christian the progressive christianity it's just moral it's just liberalism wrapped in new church clothes but it's quite the misnomer two years ago john stone street who's the now head of the chuck colson center and breakpoint interviewed Alyssa Childers and shared her story. She grew up in a church and eventually became a member of the very successful Christian pop band, Zoe Girl. But she was completely unprepared when she learned her pastor was a skeptic. Her pastor confronted her with questions and counterclaims about the reliability of Scripture, the morality of the atonement, Whether God answers prayer, cares about any of our choices, or even exists, her pastor. A progressive Christianity that denies the divinity of Christ, that treats the incarnation and resurrection from the dead as myths, that reimagines human nature away from God's created design to sexual libertinism. Is just, um, it's not just another take on faith. It is an anti-gospel. It is a false gospel. And it is another truth entirely based on a lie. It's not even a truth. It's a worldview they're trying to embrace. It's not progressive. It's exact opposite. It's digressive. It's a predictable pathway away from Jesus. The scriptures are the inerrant, infallible word of God. And relativism in the church Is heresy this is a distortion if you're adding something to the gospel if you're adding something to the gospel because culture demands it or you think science demands it or the whole world demands it you are distorting the gospel and you're attacking the church how can I say that because the church was created by the gospel and the church lives by the And I, as a shepherd, and your elders, as shepherds, are not going to stand by while the church is being attacked. Not going to happen. We're going to contend for the faith that was once delivered for all. It's settled. No new information to the saints. We notice the gospel is distorted. Next, we notice the Galatians are deserting. The deserting Galatians. Some of you are doing the time math in your head. Every point won't be this long, I promise. So we're working our way back, right? The message was bad, and then the Galatians follow. Paul says, look, I want to highlight a few words here. I'm astonished that you are so quickly, you see the words I've got highlighted, deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. The word here is metatithemi, right? Just say that 10 times fast. No, don't. Metathemia. It sounds like metanoia. You've heard Darren, you've heard Norm, you've heard Chad use the word metanoia. That's a word that means repentance. We get that from. It's a changing, not just like, oh, I'm gonna change my mind. I want chocolate instead of vanilla. It's a complete changing of direction, right? You're heading down the road, you realize you're on the road, heading the wrong way, all the one-way signs are saying go this way, and you're like, oh, I gotta stop, I've gotta turn around. You back up, you turn around. That's metanoia. This is another version of that to describe how they're turning. They're in the process of turning away. It's the same picture. It means to transfer one's allegiance, the word means. It was used of soldiers in the army who would go not just desert the army, watch this, but fight for the other side. That's that's a big deal, y'all. It's a bigger deal. That's a bigger deal than politicians who just change parties. I don't know if that's as big of a deal as somebody this morning who would put on a Carolina jersey who was a Duke fan. But it's still a big deal. How to get it in, right? Me and the sports, right? There you go. That's all you get. But the Galatians were for turning. I'll come back to another word or two in there as we look at Paul's response. But they were for turning. They, they were presented with something and they're like, yeah, that, that sounds good. Let, let's do that. They were for turning. Years ago, Margaret Thatcher, former prime minister in the United Kingdom, was being bullied by the opposition party. She was being bullied by the press. She was being bullied by folks misrepresenting what the populist vote was, telling her that she was heading the wrong way. This will be completely new news to you, right? You've never heard of a country doing this before. But at the time, the United Kingdom was overtaxing people and spending more money than they took in. I know. I had to look it up. I didn't even know what that meant. I'd never heard of that before. <laughs> so they're, they keep spending more than they're taking in, and, and Margaret had instituted some austerity measures that were painful. She had canceled all of the unnecessary, unvital programs and was saying, no, we've got to be adults here. We've got to stop overspending, and it's going to be painful for a while, and they were taking this. They were calling for her to turn around. They wanted a U-turn. There was a campaign, U-turn signs. U-turn, U-turn, U-turn. They wanted to go back to where they were. They didn't care about truth. They just wanted to feel good, right? They just wanted all their programs back. On October 10th, 1980, she gave a speech at a conference with so many voices calling for a U-turn. She addressed it in the speech. Here's what she says. If our people feel that they are part of a great nation and they're prepared to will the means to keep it great, then a great nation we shall be and shall remain. And to those waiting with bated breath for that favorite media catchphrase, the U-turn, she said, I have only one thing to say, you turn if you want to. And the place just went wild. I mean, that's a great line, right? You turn if you want to. And everybody's like, ah, right? The video of it's fantastic. And then she said these pivotal words that defined her candidacy from the rest on. She said, but the ladies, not for turning. And everybody was like, whoa. Even the men were like. Yeah, right. It was a big moment for them. They were saying, "It doesn't matter. It's going to be hard. We're going to do the hard work. I'm not going back to where we were." It was a defining moment for her. Paul is trying to grip these Galatians and is saying, I, I, "I'm I'm shocked that you are turning back. What are you doing? You're turning back to another way. There is no other way." I want to bring your attention to one other thing as we talk about the deserting Galatians. They're not just turning from an expression of faith. Or from some obscure doctrine that Paul's teaching. Or from some articulation of the gospel. Look at the words, the careful words the Holy Spirit had written down. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting, say that next word, him. Him. They didn't just move away from the gospel. They were moving away from God himself. The God that so loved them that he sent Jesus. You see, when you forsake the gospel, when you forsake the Bible, when you reject the Lord's commands and the church's instruction from the Bible, you are rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ. You're rejecting the Holy Spirit as the clearly defined role, as his clearly defined role in Scripture is to point us to Jesus and to bring the word alive. You're rejecting the Father who had such great love that it pleased the father to bruise his son to make you whole. That's what you're rejecting. You see why distortions matter? It's a big deal. You've got a distorted gospel leading to deserting Galatians and it results in a dismayed apostle. Number three. You could say leader there, but we're grace covenant. We don't get to say apostle much. I thought it'd be a nice word to insert. That's what it was his title. You've got a dismayed apostle you know the verse we've hit it a couple times but he says i'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting he was astonished not i want you to look at the words there he wasn't astonished that they had left ouch look at the words but that they left so quickly every evangelist every church planter pastor d i was trying to think back to the earliest days of grace covenant I was but the wee boy. No, just kidding. I wasn't that small. But anyway, I was trying to think back to the earliest days of Grace Covenant. And, and when Grace Covenant, we are elder led as a church body. Praise God for that. But in the earliest days, they didn't add elders. They didn't like second Sunday said, now who wants to be an elder? And didn't do it third Sunday. Didn't do it first year, second year. What? Third year or something? I don't know. Somewhere around in there. It wasn't the first couple years. Why would they do that? Why not open the door? Why not allow people? Why? Because it's something new. It's in its infancy, and you've got to protect that teaching. You've got to make sure the foundation is laid, that that fingerprint's been established, right? And then you invite like-minded. The congregation says, well, this fellow right here, he gets it. He's living exemplary, right? He's got the character the Bible says to have. He's in line with the teaching. When somebody first comes to Christ, you don't just turn them loose. You don't say, hey, praise God, thanks for coming to Jesus, Lauren. So glad you said yes to Jesus. Have a great life. Here's another gospel track. No, they don't just need something in their life. They need somebody. Why? Because you know who's got the best follow-up plan in the world? The enemy. He's waiting on believers. He wants to discourage. Do you remember when you came to Jesus? You're like, yes, Lord, everything's great. I love Jesus. You get out of the parking lot, and the devil, like, whispered or had some demon or something whisper You're like, you're not really a Christian. You're like, who was, who was that? If you were really saved, you wouldn't have thought that thought. Well, you just said, what he, what's going on, right? The enemy loves to follow up with discouragement and depression and, and doubt. These are, these are weapons he's been using from the beginning of time. Paul knew this, but it was very quick. Listen, here's what the historians tell us. If this was about a year after he planned these churches, ouch, that's quick, Church planters know well, you've got to protect the church plant early. Evangelists know well, you've got to protect that new convert early. Some folks showed up very quickly after Paul planted the church and said, hey, you need to add this to your teaching. And they're like, sure, yeah, they bought it. Does this remind you of any account in the Old Testament that you've read? Any account where maybe, maybe, just maybe, the leader had given a powerful word from God and then was communing with God on behalf of the people and before like, he could turn around, the Lord says, well, let me see if I can think of a scripture for you from Exodus 32. The Lord says to Moses, well, Moses, hey Moses, sorry to break up the party. You need to go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. Moses is like, well, I'm sure he thought, well, I've, j- I've just come up the mountain. I've only been up here a handful of days. This was less than a year. Paul's was a year, this was less than a year, handful of days. What are they doing? Are they just like, are they just kind of goofing off? They're not really worshiping? Oh, no, no, no. They've turned aside quickly. There it is again. Out of the way that I commanded them. They've made for themselves a golden calf and have worshiped it and sacrificed it and said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. I'm glad they cast Charlton Heston, right? He needed to come down and break those things. Come on. it needed somebody mad. My word. They're seeing thunder and lightning on the mountain. And they're like, "Up, oh, well, we, could, we, we better build a golden calf and worship it. And we're so quick to judge them. But listen, sometimes when heaven feels silent to us or we get a little off track and we close our Bibles and start listening to other voices more than we listen to the word of God, we can get off track so fast. It's scary. You read some of you on our reading plan this week in Judges how quickly they would be confronted with their sin. Go, oh, yes, we're sinners. We want to do Right. Let's go back and do this thing over here, right? Yeah, no, 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 we're walking right, yes, yes. And as soon as the leader turns it back, they're like, yeah, we'll catch you later, right? Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Paul was astonished at how quickly they had done it. The Galatians had come to Christ. They had put on clean robes of righteousness. Imagine that, picture that in your mind. And with those clean robes on, you know what they're doing? They start heading back to the trash to look for their old clothes. Stay out of the trash, brother or sister. Stay in the word. Don't try to put on the trash from the world. The fourth observation this morning as we look at the text is we see the gospel is distinct from all of this. In verses 7 through 9, Paul like doubles down on the authenticity of the gospel. Later on in Galatians, he articulates it beautifully. I want to hang with this passage, being sensitive to what we can try to cover in one Sunday morning this morning. But there's a distinction here. He says, not that there is another one. He said, you've gone after another gospel, and then right after that, it's a little tongue-in-cheek statement. He says, there's really not another gospel. Verses 7, but even if it were us, we, who's the we? Paul and all the brothers that were with him. Remember, he didn't come along. All those that were in total agreement of the gospel's authenticity. These are the folks laying the groundwork for the church. Paul says even if we get it wrong or Gabriel or Michael comes down from heaven, puts the trumpet down to the side and starts saying something different than what Jesus has clearly said or we've taught about what Jesus has said. Let him be a curse. The word is anathema. It means cast out. Kick me out. The apostle Paul. Kick me out. If I mess this up. Wow. Wow. As we've said before, and now I say again, if anyone is preaching you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. I'm thinking of the teenagers in the room. I'm thinking of the middle schoolers in the room whose parents have the same disease that I have. We all have it. We don't know where we got it. We thought we could avoid it. We tried for a vaccine, and it didn't take. But you know what I'm talking about, teens and middle schoolers, where the parent tells you what you did wrong, explains why it was wrong. And then we go through it about three more times, and you're like, I got it. I got it. Paul is making the point and he's making it very clear here. He's saying, even if we do something different, we're a curse. Let me say it again. If anybody does it differently, it's wrong. Ouch. This is serious. It's a picture here of devoting something toward exclusion from the faith. It's not a call for vengeance or violence against the person who's the false teacher. He wasn't calling for stoning anybody. That's not what this was. But it was an exclusion from the body of Christ. Process that. He's saying, kick them out. And then he says, kick me out. Listen to me, church family. When the gospel message is corrupted, the way of salvation gets confused and people are in danger of being eternally lost. This stuff matters. A corrupt gospel equals a confused people. And worse yet, it can create false converts, a compromised salvation. Listen to the clarity of Jesus. When he lays down the gospel, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. There it is. John 10. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Luke 9, if anyone comes after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Jude 3 writes before the Bible is even completed in the form that we know. He's writing this letter of admonition and saying, it's necessary. I've got to tell you, contend for the faith. Watch the phrase. That was once for all delivered. That's it. Period. There's no new gospel. There's no new information you need. It's right here contained in these 66 books of God's precious, infallible, inerrant, revealed word. God speaking himself. And you say, I don't understand it. He gave his Holy Spirit to help us understand it. Let me tell you what will help you understand this more than any help program you can get. To fall in love with the author. God is so good to preserve his word in a language we can understand. There's no new gospel. There's no new way. There aren't two gospels any more than there are two Yahweh's. There's only one message from God, and it is the good news. And if you turn away from that, if you, you turn, you're turning from the truth to a lie. You're turning from peace to trouble. You're turning from life to destric- Destruction. Why would you do that when God said you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous life. Once you were not a people, but now you're a people. Once you did not know mercy, but now you have obtained mercy. And then you see why Paul's desire, the disciples' desire, the disciples' desire, very last point this morning, is what it is. He's not worried about what man thinks about him. He's not concerned about that. Why? Because he's got a living relationship with the living God who became the living word to lead us all to heaven and glory. What a God. What a Savior. Look at the verse. He says, what am I doing? Am I concerned about all this? Am I trying to seek your approval? Boy, Paul, you could have written that a different way. You should have done one of those long, flowery introductions, and then you should have kind of massaged this message a little bit. This is a little um, little tough, a little terse here. I don't believe I like this style of preaching. He says, I I wasn't taking a vote. You were walking toward the exit door while the plane was in motion. You were U-turning to go back off a cliff. I've got to yell, stop. Hear me this morning. I want to have a relationship with each of you. I want to be friendly with you and be your friend. I really, really do. I enjoy when we get together off campus, off site, and have a meal together or just hang out together. It's fantastic. And I don't want to trade any of that for anything, but I'm doing my best. And the elders of Grace Covenant, your teachers in Sunday school and in your discipleship groups and other places in your home, kids, your parents are doing their best To help you be on guard for the things that matter most. When Paul was settling in his only worrying about what God thought, I wonder if he had a playlist on his uh, iPod that kind of went like this. Psalm 118, it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. I wonder if he was singing that to himself. If he was singing Psalm 56, it said, In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? And then he hits next and goes to the next track from Psalm 40. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust and who does not turn to the proud, those who go astray after a lie. Proverbs 29, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. We're landing the plane now. Paul knew that to follow Jesus meant that Jesus was making you something not better, but new. He's come to make you new. What a God. What a Savior. As Julia comes this morning just to find her place, we're going to transition to communion in a minute. What's the takeaway from this? You've got five points that were just really observations from the text. You, you probably, with time and tools, would have come to those conclusions or better, no doubt. But those are five clear things that jump out of the text. Some interpretation for some of the words and what they mean. What, what's some of the application here Well, I think there are kind of some stakes in the ground that we need to be reminded of. Here's the first one. There's only one gospel. And when people try to stick a term in front of the gospel, that's not a good, that's a red flag for you, right? The gospel doesn't need to be enhanced. Jesus said, remember in Matthew 28, that passage I read, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to... Observe to obey all that I have commanded. Wow. It, there's a call to command. There's a command to obey, rather. That's why I call Julia up at the end of the service every week. I, I want to give you space. I want to give you space. It's right for all of us. It is right for all of us every Sunday to have something in the text that we look at. Trust me, it happens to your pastor a lot, where I go, mm, I repent of that. I believe your word for That's why we give you space. It's okay for you to stand at your seat and respond. That's okay with me. It's okay for you to come forward and kneel around this stage or at a bed. That's okay, too. Somebody would judge you for doing that if you feel impressed to do that. It's okay for you to go back home, study the scriptures for yourselves, and respond. Here's what's not okay. It's not okay for you to ignore the claims of Christ. It's not okay for you to ignore the truth of his word or the wooing of his spirit. That's not okay. That's disobedience. There's only one gospel. It's a call to life, and it's a call of grace. But in light of this morning, I'd say the second thing to walk away with is be on guard. Right? I don't think these Galatians were looking to go astray. I don't think they were all sitting around going, you know what would be awesome is if we could really upset Paul really quickly. Believe something that's not true and walk away from Jesus, the lover of our souls. No. No. I think they came in and the teaching was slick and it seemed right and it sounded right. And they probably had the best music in town, right? They had music for the young people. They had music that like drew people in and the teaching just sounded, oh man, man, that sounds like, hmm, I'd go deeper with God if I did that. No, you'd go off a cliff away from Christ. Be on guard. Judge the messenger by the message. God's word was written so that all can understand it with the help of God's spirit. Be on guard against that friend that you love, that's trying to wear you down because they don't know why you insist that you hold to the fact that Jesus is the only way to God. They're calling you a narrow-minded Bible-thumper. Be on guard. Love them. Maybe your challenger is a rebellious teen who's turning away from God and calling everything a myth, rejecting all authority. Be on guard. Stand your ground. Maybe you've got a coworker who's reading from the trash can of the world. And it's becoming a militant atheist. Be on guard. Love them. But don't compromise the truth. Perhaps that acquaintance, that friend, that family member won't even let you speak. You try to respond and they shut you down. They just marginalize you as a narrow-minded bigot and dare you to say anything. That's okay. It doesn't change the truth of who God is. Listen to me. The gospel of Jesus Christ is absolutely true. Even if the whole world is against us, it's still true. Lastly, false gospels don't save. There's the danger. Only one gospel. Be on guard. Why? Because false gospels don't save. The elders of Grace Covenant Church take very seriously our charge to keep a close watch on the doctrine and teaching. But part of our responsibility is to equip you that you're not blown about by every wind of doctrine. As we go to prayer this morning, here's my encouragement to you. I want to remind you, Paul wouldn't have written this if Galatians would have been a lost cause. They hadn't gone so far that the grace of God couldn't call them back home. How do you need to pray this morning to respond to God's word? There's no other gospel. Let's pray. We feel the pressure this morning of the forces around us that seem to be spiraling out of control. I mean, if we're honest, that's what it looks like. And not just the global news that has us wondering what's going on, Lord, but we're, we're wondering as we hear friends and see people that we once had confidence in, walking away from the truth, Lord, it bothers us to our core. I pray that Grace Covenant Church, not as the institution, but certainly as the institution, but as a people, recommit ourselves afresh every morning to walk in your truth, regardless of what the folks around us might say. Help us to stand true and firm in these days of apostasy, Lord. Thank you for the gospel of grace. In Jesus' name, let the church say amen.